Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McManaman of Metro Philly, alongside Philly.com's own Michael Cassie-Blomain. Um, as always, you can follow our podcast on the app Stitcher, uh, where you can find many of the other top sports podcasts in the industry today. You can also follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. You know, I wasn't um, about to start off the show this way, but I feel like it's something that just needs to be said. You know, I just like to pay my respect to Derek Rose, you know, the news coming out about tearing his meniscus, uh, needing surgery. As we all know, he, he started his, you know, decline in his career in that playoff series against the Sixers back in 2012 when he initially tore his ACL. And, um, you know, things aren't really looking good there. Brandon Roy comes to mind and, you know, how his career ended. So you can only hope that he can battle through it one more time and get back to the court. But, you know, what do you think of this D-Rose injury, Mike? Yeah, man, I mean, it's unfortunate just as a fan of the game, uh, no matter what team you like, Bulls or not Bulls, because it's unfortunate to see anyone go, you know, go through multiple injuries like this back to back to back when they're, you know, working so hard to come back, and especially someone of the athletic ability of Derrick Rose. You know, he was, you know, a generational talent, the youngest uh, MVP in NBA history, and just, you know, one of the most explosive point guards I'd ever seen. And uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, now, you know, unless he can kind of pull out some like a miraculous comeback and turn his career around and stay healthy for, you know, a prolonged period of time, it seems like he's going to be going down the path of guys like, you know, Penny Hardaway, Grant Hill, um, guys that, you know, had just tons of athletic ability and were able to use some of it, but were kind of just robbed of, you know, their bodies and their, you know, years of their prime. It's It's unfortunate, you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and, uh, you know, we don't like to talk about it, but, you know, that same sort of thing happened to Andrew Bynum with his Sixers career. And, um, Mike, just when you thought the Sixers were done, you know, tweaking their roster here, um, they've had several big uh, shakeups, you know, the past few days. Does Sam Hankey ever sleep? 
<laughs> That's a great question. I might have to uh, ask him that next time uh, he, he opens up to the media availability. But, uh, no, I mean, it's. <clears throat> I think that it's a testament to him that he, you know, just constantly out scouring the market for – deals for moves uh the the robinson pickup yesterday i know i was looking at twitter and nets fans were just furious about that uh <laughs> kind of, of swooped in at the 11th hour and uh you know i you know took him over i guess they were pretty much banking i think Woj had reported uh the night before that he was about to you know sign with the nets and no one picked him up off waivers and the sixers kind of just came in at the 11th hour and swooped in on him <laughs> um so i mean I would imagine that Hickey finds a couple hours somewhere to sleep, but it's kind of at least reassuring to know that he sort of always has an eye open to, uh, you know, things that it doesn't even seem like has anything to do with the Sixers, like the Nets picking up Thomas Robinson off waivers. And then, you know, it's just nice to know that he always has his eye out and likes to be involved. Yeah, you would think that after such a crazy trade deadline, things would slow down. But, uh, you know, since then they've signed Ish Smith, Thomas Robinson, as you mentioned, and they've waived Kirilenko, Malcolm Thomas, and uh, Tim Frazier here. I mean, I'll start with Ish Smith. The way I look at him is like an older Tony Roden. Um, You know, he hasn't really gotten his fair shake yet in the NBA. He's really good at driving into the paint. He's, you know, a flashy passer. Uh, He's a pretty bad shooter so far, but, um, you know, he's averaged just 2.7 2.7 points and 1.9 rebounds in just uh, 10.7 minutes in his five-year career um, while being on eight different teams in the process. Um, you know, he started off his Sixers debut with seven points, seven assists, and three steals in 24 minutes. Um, do you think that with more minutes, the Sixers just might have themselves something here in, uh, in Smith? Uh, quite frankly, no, I don't. I'm not a uh not very high on the Ishmith train. I mean, I'm not against giving a guy a chance, but at the same time, I'd almost rather than taking a shot on another guard off a 10-day contract or something. I mean, at this point, Ishmith is, I think he's 26 years old, uh, going to be 27 this summer. And as you alluded to, he's bounced around to six or seven teams, uh, different teams. And, I, you know, I'm all about giving a guy a chance, but I feel like at some point there's a reason that if a guy that young has been on that many different teams. Uh, you know, he's just he's a, he's a small guard. He can't shoot well. You know, he's quick, like you alluded to, kind of Roten, Tony Roten style, but I felt like one of Roten's biggest advantages was kind of his size and his ability to use it. If Smith is under under six feet, and he just doesn't have an outside shot. It's just, you know, it just doesn't seem like a guy that has uh, just you know, has a skill set that the Sixers would really be interested in having moving moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he's a great player to get a free evaluation of. Uh, I'll give him that. Um, you know, despite having career shooting percentages of just thirty nine percent from the field and you know a dreadful twenty one percent from the outside, uh, you know, he actually does have good form and lift on his shots. So for whatever reason, they're not falling. Um, it's definitely not the broken jumper that we saw from MCW or Roden. But, you know, I think his problem, much like Roden, is that he really tries to do too much and forces things on the offensive side of the ball when, uh, you know, the ball's in his hands. He's really good at getting into the paint, but, you know, he needs to use that to his advantage more in the passing game. Um, he can even get up a little bit like Pierre Jackson out there, but... Um, 
<laughs> you know, once again, uh, it, it's just pretty crazy moves from Hinky again. And, um, you know, my approval rating of him couldn't be higher. Uh, you know, I wasn't too high on Smith, but he's a guy that I wanted him to kind of take a look at in preseason. And now he goes out and grabs Thomas Robinson off waivers as well to, you know, reach that salary floor. Um, you know, Robinson's a guy I wanted the Sixers to get since he came to the league back in 2012. He's another guy who hasn't really gotten his fair shake of minutes, averaging, you know, 4.6 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 13.5 minutes. And, um, you know, in the in the four starts he received this season in Portland, he averaged 9 points and 8.8 rebounds in uh, 22.6 minutes. Uh, is he another guy you think could, you know, potentially blossom in Philly? Yeah, it was uh, much higher on the, the Thomas Robinson pickup. Uh, kind of like you alluded to, he's a guy that I've always been sort of intrigued by uh, going back to the, the 2012 draft um, when he came out and selected fifth overall. And regardless, kind of just alluding to whoever Hinky picks up, like you said, you, I, you can never be mad at a free, basically like a free evaluation, uh, you know, like last season and this season, given a guy that's, been tossed around a couple of times it hasn't really got a fair shake or a full opportunity you know if it doesn't pan out it doesn't pan out but you can't you know you can't turn turn your nose up at a free evaluation of a player um but that being said to me thomas robinson is uh definitely an intriguing prospect and i think he'll benefit just from getting some steady time here in the, with the sixers for the rest of the season something you know he hasn't had really the opportunity to have yet throughout his career uh he was you know i was a fan of him at kansas he was gone in the draft, obviously way before the Sixers picked that year. But I would have been much happier with uh, with Thomas Robinson that year than I would have been with Mo Harkless, and I think I think that was a Moultrie year. <laughs> but but um, you know he's he's a, he's an athletic guy. He has decent size. You know I think he's listed at six ten, uh, maybe closer to six nine. But he, you know he has a solid build. He's had an NBA body coming out of college. So I mean I think it I think it's an intriguing guy, especially like you said, as a free to look at. I don't think he's you know he's any sort of long term starting option, but he he there was a reason he was picked fifth overall. He's still only twenty three years old. So I mean Brett could uh, you know, like work with him, try to get some of that potential out of him and there's you know, an outside shot that he maybe could serve as a, a backup for us, you know, going forward in the front court behind, uh, you know, Noel and Joel. And if not, maybe at the very least, Brett can work him into a serviceable big that can be shipped out for a second-round pick somewhere down the line. Yeah, like you said, I mean, he's a physical specimen, 6'9", 240. Uh, we're talking about a guy who was drafted fifth overall in 2012. I mean, you know, his biggest skill set is rebounding, but he can score at the rim a little bit as well. Um, he's he's great out in transition. Uh, so for this young athletic team, that's that's a positive. Um, he leaves a lot to be desired defensively, but overall, I think he'd be an upgrade o- over Furkin at the moment. Um, he's kind of like Nerland's Noel on the offensive end. Um, you know, he scores a lot of points on dunks. Doesn't have much of a jumper. He still needs to develop and improve a lot more. Um, but that's why he's on the Sixers, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a good good place to do that. Yeah, I mean, um, once again, this is the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Katsky Blumain. And um, so now that the dust has really settled on the trade deadline deals, how do you feel about what you've seen so far? I mean, I'll start with Isaiah Cannon's play so far. 
he had uh, what might be the shot of the year the other night against the Heat. To get that shot off even was crazy, but for that to go in was incredible. Um, you know, he's averaging 12.5 points and three assists in 29.5 minutes per game. More importantly, he's shooting nearly 44% from the outside. Uh, how relieving is it to have, you know, a point guard that can finally shoot the ball? Well, uh, no no sled on Mike, but it's definitely, it's definitely a nice feature to have in the offense. Um, you know, when we did our podcast last week on Friday morning, it was, you know, less than 24 hours after all the moves, and I think we were both still kind of trying to wrap our heads around it all and process it all. You know, now that we've had almost a week, six days of separation in between, I mean, the logic of it starts to come come to light. You kind of understand why, you know, why Sam did what he did, um, And you know, as far as both of the moves. Uh, and as far as Isaiah Cannon goes, He's a guy that apparently, you know, the team's been high on since, you know, the draft in 2013 when they, you know, Sam saying that they wanted him and he was selected, I think, to pick before the Sixers in the second round. But uh, he was thrown right into the fire. And I think, you know, I think he did a pretty pretty solid job in the first couple of games. Obviously, the most noticeable feature was, you know, his ability to shoot. I think it was within a first, the first minute of his first start, he came down and knocked down, a, you know, three, you no know, odds. Uh, he has a lot of confidence shooting that shot, especially like just coming in on a pull-up, which is something that you know Mike lacked at, um, up to this point in his career. And I think it's uh, you know it's, it's, it opens up a whole new angle to the offense, and it's kind of it almost changes the dynamic entirely. I think Brett alluded to this after one of the uh, one of the last couple games that they kind of shifted with with Isaiah in there from you know a team that would attack the rim with Mike at the helm, you know one of the league's leading teams at getting to the rim. Now they're a team that took, you know, almost 33-point attempts with Isaiah at the helm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. having him in there just kind of completely shifted the whole way the team plays almost. Yeah. um, I mean, obviously there's other parts of the trade to examine. We might get to, uh, you know, the the future picks in next week's episode, but right now just focusing on the players, uh, you know, JaVale McGee, KJ McDaniels in Houston, you know, we'll get our first shot to see post-Sixers Michael Carter-Williams tonight against his old team. Um, you know, JaVale has played very JaVale-like in his first three games in uniform. And, you know, meanwhile, KJ McDaniels has only played, you know, a total of five minutes in two games in Houston. Um, he hasn't tallied anything stat-wise but three misses for the Rockets so far. Do you think McDaniels may have, you know, severely hurt his market value by this trade to Houston? <laughs> I think you should look in a uh, uh, patent in the word uh, JaVale-like as an adjective for future. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> it's pretty much the only way you can describe McGee's play. <laughs> but, um, yeah, back over to McDaniels, it, it's a tough situation just because, you know, it's the same situation we, we kind of talked about last week with Isaiah Cannon, but flipped. Uh, it's not necessarily a knock on McDaniel's skill set at this point, but, you know, the Rockets are an established title contending team with an MVP candidate that are, you know, they're looking to go deep into the playoffs and they, you know, they don't have the time necessarily in the, you know, in their, in the lineup to a lot to a rookie that still really needs to develop. And, and, ways Philly was one of the best like a great situation for McDaniels because mm-hmm. he got to you know display his talent and also work on it at the same time 
whereas on a team like Houston that's already, you know, like I mentioned, established and is already started deep at the wing spots is with, you know, Trevor Ariza, Corey Brewer, Harden, um, where there's just not the same amount of time. And he, it's, McDaniels can't necessarily be expected to go, you know, learn the playbook and be able to go get consistent minutes in there. But, you know, as his situation is with the one-year contract, you really do have to wonder if, you know, this summer his market value might take a hit just as a result of him, you know, not getting the same amount of minutes that he would have if he continued the rest of the season and finished it in Philly. Uh, you know, that's that's a real possibility. Yeah, I mean, in a way, he got what he wanted. I mean, he wanted to be out of that rebuilding team situation. And, you know, he obviously went to one of the best playoff teams in the West. Um, but, you know, his stats are going to suffer tremendously as well as his value. Uh, he definitely won't get that larger deal, I think, at this point. Uh, we're probably looking at something closer to four years, maybe around the 20 to $25 million ballpark. Um you know, he'll see how he likes sitting on the bench for a while in Houston. Um, if anything, I think he'll just be used sparingly as a wing defender there for the rest of the season and nothing more. Um, you know, the Sixers might even have a shot to sign him back if he finds Houston isn't really where he wants to be. And um, I think he must be feeling pretty torn as a player right now. Yeah, that would be uh that'd be pretty funny if Hinky you know, Hinky pulled that move, especially now if his market value ended up dipping as a result of going to Houston and Hinky's kinda of just sitting back smiling and be like, Oh well I'll just take him back and it would reduce value than it would have been if they had kept him all along in the first place. Yeah, and I mean I wouldn't run that past Hinky. You know, he probably knew a little bit about McDaniels' situation over in Houston with him and uh Maury being so close, but uh, you know, ultimately we'll we'll just see what happens from that. Um, yeah. You know, how do you see MCW performing in his first game back as a buck against the Sixers tonight? Um, is he going to have a field day against Isaiah Cannon? Um, you know, what's the best way to guard MCW that you've noticed over the past two seasons? That has to be tough for Mike. I mean, his first game with the new with his new team is against his old team. Doesn't even get a chance to like warm up before you know uh, everyone in Philadelphia is watching the game, judging him with his new team. You know, he maybe had a day to practice, um, and it's it's definitely going to be strange watching the game, seeing him in another uniform too. <laughs> I think it's going to take him in. I was wondering if he's going to like accidentally like pass to Noel at some point before he like sinks in. Like, oh wait, I'm not even I'm not on this team anymore. But um, I don't know if you can expect a field day uh, out of him for a couple of reasons. A, he's obviously just coming back from the, uh, you know, his ankle injury. Uh, he might not feel be 100% yet, like, ready to go full uh, full on. And then also, like I alluded to, it's the first game he's played with a new team. So, obviously, his, you know, mastery of the playbook is limited and what they're going to want from him and expect of him will also be limited. Um, with a cannon guard in him, you'd you'd like to think that he would utilize his size, but that's that's one thing that he had never Mike had never really got to develop yet here in Philly was uh you know he never really developed a post up game that he <clears throat> where he could kind of take you know lower smaller guys down to a block and kind of put his back to the basket and work in a little bit and utilize mm-hmm. his size over guys. Uh, you know he gets like you uh, you said what's the best way to guard Mike? You uh, you we've probably both noticed that he, you know, if you kind of pressure him up past the three-point line, he gets prone to turnovers or trying to, you know, take the ball to get past the first defender and kind of get lost in the paint there. 
So, I mean, if I, as a, if I was Isaiah, just kind of pick him up, you know, put keep pressure on him, make him try to have to, you know, make make plays on his own. I think that's the best way to kind of, you know, trip him up a little bit. But, I mean, all in all, you want to, you, <clears throat> you'd like to see the Sixers get a W, but, you don't, you know, I, I wouldn't hate to see Mike do half decent with the new team in his debut. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the things holding Mike back are how healthy he is and, um, you know, really – learning the playbook and learning his teammates. Those are going to be the biggest things for him out of the gate. Um, it should be interesting to see MCW, you know, take a drive to the lane on Nerland's Noel. That's something, you know, I wasn't expecting to see this season outside of practice. So, um, you know, I'm more interested to see how many assists he actually can tally in this game more than, you know, seeing his offensive performance you know, with offensive threats to actually pass the ball to on the box, you know, he should end the season much more efficiently in Milwaukee than he did with Philly. Um, you know, when he doesn't have to carry that scoring load pretty effective on drives and dishes, you know, or points at the rim, you know, the Sixers will really have to keep him out of the paint and double him up top, as you alluded to. Um, it can really force him into tough passing situations where, you know, oftentimes he'll turn the ball over. But, you know, one thing which I found really interesting this week, which Derek Bodner actually pointed out, um, he said that, you know, heading into these past two games with Isaiah Cannon, um, the Sixers were just one in their previous 55 games, getting uh, 13 or more three-pointers in the game. And now with Cannon in the lineup, they've notched two straight 13-plus games of uh, three-pointers which I found really interesting, you know, when Embiid finally joins the lineup, how important will outside shooting be for the team's success? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I felt like that was um, sort of an impetus for the, not necessarily the Carter-Williams trade as much as the McDaniels trade and their their initial interest in Isaiah Cannon to begin with. Um, and I guess Carter, the Carter-Williams trade to the extent that they might not have felt that Mike, um, you know, would have, uh, mixed as well with Joel Beck because of that exact reason, because he wasn't able to space the floor out to the three-point line like someone like Cannon can. Um, I think I, I think both Sam and through through Brett has made it explicitly clear that uh, the three-point shot is going to play a huge part in um, you know just the Sixers' style of play and their success going forward in the league. Um, you see, you know, a lot of the more successful teams now are starting to rely on a team last year like the Spurs who, you know, remember back to the NBA Finals, just rain threes down on Miami. Uh, like the the Rockets now, you know, based off threes and, you know, getting the ball to the rim, kind of eliminating the mid-range game, um, boosting the efficiency. And I feel like that's all part, you know, in the Sixers' wheelhouse, it's all part of the plan. And, uh, you know, once, once we have hopefully a dominant guy in the center like Embiid, then it'll be you know, exponentially more important to have guys that can space the floor like Cannon. Uh, I, I think that that'll, that'll be a big part of the game plan going forward. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's how the team's being built. Um, you know, think back to the 2008-2009 Magic, uh, which went to the NBA Finals, where, you know, they surrounded Dwight Howard, the central piece of their offense with a slew of shooters that, you know, Jameer Nelson, J.J. Redick, Hito Turgaloo, Richard Lewis, Courtney Lee, Michael Petras, on and on and on, they had, you know, guys who could consistently knock down threes. And, um, 
you know, when Embiid gets doubled or tripled next season, uh, the team will need to, you know, rely on these kind of shooters to consistently hit from the outside. So, you know, having a guy like Cannon shooting 44% right now, you know, that's a very positive sign for the future. As we both alluded to in the last episode, we, we see them going for a point guard in the draft. And out of, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Emmanuel Moutier, right now it seems like Russell would be, you know, the better shooter of the two. Um, but, you know, what do you see out of this team kind of forming? And I guess, like, when Embiid finally gets back, what do you see from him in the offense? Yeah, I mean, hopefully uh, Joel can be as good as some people project, and hopefully he can stay healthy. That would obviously move the program forward uh, huge, huge amounts. Um, you know, he, he could serve, like he kind of alluded to the, the uh, Dwight Howard magic in, in 09. Uh, Embiid already, just based off watching him, you know, kind of warm up these past couple months before games. You know, he has a, a, a touch, too. Like, he can shoot basically on all the way out to the three-point line. He, he he has a three-point shot himself, and I think that combined with, you know, the fact that he can be a, a dominant force under the rim, I think that just gives the team, uh, you know, an, an increasing amount of flexibility with things they can do on the offensive end, whereas keeping defenses on their toes. You know, if MB can one play be – on the on the post, you know, being back to the basket, dominant, traditional big guy, and then the next set they come down and he can run a high screen and fade out to the arc and, you know, hit a three. I feel like that just makes the team, you know, almost unguardable. And that's when it would be important for someone like Isaiah that can, you know, add the extra space to the floor. Um, I think that's an approach that they're certainly going to take, um, you know, going forward once he gets out there. Yeah, and uh, moving on, you know, the Sixers haven't won a game since the trade deadline. Um, they're 0-3. They've fallen off a bit defensively, but have actually looked maybe even slightly better on the offensive end. Uh, do you see any wins coming the rest of the week against, you know, Milwaukee tonight, Washington on Friday, or Indiana on Sunday? I mean, it's possible. It's hard to tell because the team was just, it was trending upwards, you know, in the win column and defensively and just, you know, feel good overall before the trade deadline with uh, Mike and KJ, you know, wins were becoming more common. They obviously haven't won since. And, uh, you know, a little bit of that, that feeling is gone. Uh, Brett, you know, said that himself. Um, he felt, he said he feels kind of, you know, naked without his guys out there. So, I mean, it's hard to tell exactly how long it's going to take for them to bounce back. But with that being said, you know, tonight uh, in Milwaukee is definitely an opportunity. Um, their team kind of, you know, obviously they're the sixth seed right now, but they're just in the midst of Larry Sanders, um, you know, probably kind of leaving. They've had injury issues of their own. They have a new point guard to incorporate into the system. So, I mean, it's not like they're they're not beatable. And then, you know, Washington will be tough. Uh, Indiana is also will be tough. If any of those three, I would say their best chance would probably be tonight in Milwaukee. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't bet on it. What about you? What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking, you know, Sunday in Indiana. But, um, you know, I, I see your points about Milwaukee kind of being in flux right now and, you know, with the Larry Sanders released, and then you have Michael Carter-Williams coming in for Brandon Knight. You have, you know, Ennis and Plumley getting uh, accustomed to the offense as well. So, you know, this, this could be a game as well. Um, you know, against Indiana last week, Lewis Scola had, 
you know, a great game, which kind of surprised with uh, 16 points. Rodney Stuckey had 30 off the bench. Um, you know, you can't expect those types of performances again. So I think that, you know, that might be the game the Sixers actually have a chance to win. And that was also the game where Noel almost had a triple-double, you know, with 12 points, nine rebounds, and nine blocks. So, um, you know, it should be interesting. What do you think of, you know, the defense that Noel played on Hibbert in that game, just, you know, limiting him to eight points? It was impressive as of, you know, Noel's defense this year in general has just been increasingly impressive. I, I mean, I think the team really has has something there in terms of a future potential defensive player of the year candidate and just, you know, one of the one of the best defenders in the league. Uh Hibbert too is not it's not a guy that's physically really overpowering, so that's a slightly better matchup for Noel than, you know, a guy maybe like uh Zach Randolph or Al Jefferson who have, you know, substantial weight uh weight on him. But you know, the Indiana game could definitely be a, a winnable one. I feel like the Pacers just always play the Sixers kind of tough. Um, you know, Scola and David West and Hibbert, it's a, it's a formidable front court. And uh, But, you know, as you alluded to, you can't expect that type of superhero performance from Rodney Stuckey every game. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Noel, honestly, has just been, uh, to me, the defense is, is one of those things where, you know, as good as advertised, if not better, um, from what people were projecting, it's to me at least, it's become increasingly clear why he was so uh, projected so highly. Like probably the top pick in that 2013 draft before the injury. Um, I was always sort of skeptical back then, you know, coming out of college, um, and I, I just think that he sky's the limit for him defensively. And you know, as we alluded to earlier, Sam's always keeping an eye on the market, and nothing is off the table. But you know. He's a smart guy, and I'm sure he realizes just maybe how val- valuable of an asset he has in Noel, um, you know, de- developing on the defensive end. Yeah, I, I would say that Noel by far is the best, you know, defensive player as a rookie in the league this year. Um, offensively, he still has ways and ways to go um, to develop that shot, but, you know, he's been super impressive and that might have been his best performance of the year against Indiana in the last game um, on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, we'll see what happens this week. In, in the meantime, you know, are you pouring one out tonight for Tim Frazier? <laughs> I'm not, Jeff. I'm not. I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can't I can't fault the effort uh, that he gave us. You know, he came, he played hard, and any player that comes into the Sixers situation on a 10-day and it's kind of just thrown into the fire, you got to feel for it. I mean, it's, it's a tough situation. He tried hard. He did his best. But, I mean, when it when it came down to it, it he just, at least for me, he didn't do it for me on the court. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of Penn State fans are, you know, probably upset by this, but he he wasn't really, you know, a guy to be too upset about leaving the team, you know. He was what he was, and – uh you know, now that Isaiah Cannon is here, we don't really have to, you know, worry about him, you know, as a future point guard with the team. But that's all we've got for today. Uh, you know, once again, this is the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McBenneman, joined with Michael Katsky Blomain of Philly.com. Um, we'll get back at it next week. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll see you soon. Hey!
1982, man, it was real cool in school if we got good grades, like straight up babes Our parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Serva called Philly is home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' Freeze Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you wanna make it on time to the show There's only one road that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feel in a fix Get on that road they call 676 The most expensive expense piece of interstate They ever made a fellas ain't famous But they got good game With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.